Five, four, three, two, one. Bazinga! Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Now Showing podcast. I'm your host, as always, Sam Hoost, and I'm joined once again by my wonderful co-host, Lewis. Today, we are looking at two films, both of which came out a decent amount of time ago now in the UK, um, but they are both films that you have kind of shown your, your passion towards, but also two films that have kind of not got a mainstream release, but have done very well in, in critic circles and stuff in the UK that have been released picture houses every man's and a few select audience for, for licorice pizza and that is licorice pizza and tatan uh, the two films we're doing today um licorice pizza the newest uh, creation of well-respected well, uh, critically acclaimed director paul thomas anderson it stars alana haim and uh, cooper hoffman um as a one as a, a cooper hoffman as a 15 year old uh, who idolizes uh, this girl that he meets who's 10 years older than him in 70s Hollywood and it kind of follows his his path of them two and him trying to to capture her and uh, Tatan is the Palm Door winning the, uh, the, the top prize at Cannes uh, winning kind of horror-y, drama-y, I don't really know how to describe it, um, kind of mindfuck um, from Julia Ducorno, is that, is that how it's pronounced? I think so, yeah, Julia Ducorno, Ducorno, I'm not sure. Yeah, which I guess we don't really want to say too much about, we'll have a spoilers section, so you know, if you haven't seen it, you know, you can, you don't have to, to hear spoilers, but it is a, a kind of story of, of blood and sex and cars and murder and violence and, 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 and surprise and shock and, and gasps, um, and we'll get to that when we get to that, um, but before we go on to all of that, that stuff, how are you doing today, Lewis? I'm very good, thank you. I'm very excited to get into these films. These are two films that I have been wanting to talk about uh, from when I first saw them uh, quite a while ago now. So I'm very excited to get today's episode done and to talk about them because you know how I feel about these two films, but I have no idea how you feel about these two films. Yeah, we, we do have a rule on the Now Shame podcast, which is you don't talk and you don't tweet about films that we are going to review. Um, and JL was far better at uh, uh, adhering to that rule than, than you are. So <laughs> I I, I've been very aware for quite a while on your thoughts on these two films. Um, but yeah, so it's going to be a, a kind of a contrasting comparison how I how I look at them compared to you. So it's like the kind of like the, the Shakespeare episode or something like that where... You know, we're already going that with a preconceived notion of, of one of us. You know, or the, mm. maybe you know what, what, how we did with the um, with the Francis McDormand films. You already loved all three. You know, me coming in, my contrasting opinion. So we're going to see how I, you know, whether I love these films as much as you do. Um, I want to start off uh, the podcast today, Lewis, with with a riddle of sorts. Oh, right, a filmy riddle. Now I don't know if this is viral or if this is like just one person said it because my friend told me the other day and I haven't Googled it. So I don't know if this is going around or if it's not going around. But so it is. Okay. So it is name the franchise, right? right. You got to guess the franchise. I'm going to say it's now. You can have, If you have a quick guess, you can say it. But then I'll reveal the answer at the end of the episode. Okay. Oh God, that's so, going to be annoying if I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. So it is. So um, the... There is five films, first of which was released in the 80s, last of which was released in the noughties. Uh, 
The first film is a standalone film. The third is a direct sequel to the second. The fourth is a remake of the first. And the fifth is a prequel to them all. It has horror elements. You could argue it's a horror. You could argue it isn't. They all share common character. And would not be considered a traditional franchise. But definitely are a franchise. And feature a lot of actors. A lot of directors. uh, And a lot of people that you would definitely know. You would know these films. Okay. These are famous films. Okay. What the fuck? (laughs) It started in the 80s and ended in the noughties. And I will just repeat the key film bit again, which is the first is is on is standalone. The third is a sequ- direct sequel to the second. The fourth is a remake of the first, and the fifth is a prequel to them all. So uh, just uh, we'll get back to that at the end. Okay. If you've got any ideas now, if you've got any, if you've got one, I have no idea. Have I? Do you think? Have I seen these films? Because you said horror. I'm not sure. I don't know whether you have. You might have seen one of them. Right. You've probably seen one of them. Right, okay. Um, I've seen two, maybe three of them. Uh, two of them, I think. Maybe I've seen two of them and I've seen the third one on telly, but I've not really paid attention to it. Um, but yeah, we'll get to that at the end. So if you have your ideas, listeners, uh, well, you have to see if you get it right. <laughs> um, so without further ado... Um, since we last recorded, which obviously the last episode came out a few days ago, but we recorded them uh, last week, so it's been quite a bit of time. Um, so since last episode, Lewis, what have you watched? I have actually been quite a busy bee this past week. I've watched quite a bit, um, and a couple of things I want to give some attention to. Um, so the first thing that I watched was I watched Boiling Point, um, which is a, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's a one-take drama about a chef who works in a busy restaurant and the chef is kind of going through some stuff personally and professionally um, and because it's one, it's all shot in one take, it's not like edited together, it's genuinely in one take and it's very, very good, very well made and it completely captured how much I hated customers and my manager when I worked in a restaurant because... It was it. It felt like it was giving me PTSD at times. It was that realistic, in terms of how it made you feel like you were in a busy restaurant, and it really was accurate. And it was very, very fantastic. And it's it's playing at cinemas now, so go and catch it if you can. Um, the other things, some of the other things I've watched, I watched Speed, the classic uh, action flick from the nineties with Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock, and I was impressed by not just how good the action was, because the action was quite good, but how well the characters and the story were done, because there's like 45 minutes of character work before the action starts, which in a 90s action film is a bit crazy. Like, well, not the before the action starts, because there's action in the opening sequence, but the big premise of speed is that there's a bus, and if the bus goes below 50 miles an hour, it blows up. That's the premise. And that premise doesn't kick off until about 45 minutes to an hour in the film. And that first 45 minutes is completely just set up for the villain and the main character, and it's really, really good. It does feature the silliest bus jump ever. There's like a 50-foot gap in a bridge and a bus manages to jump it, and there's no incline, it's just a bus skips over a 50-foot gap, and it's crazy, 
but it's really well made and it's also very, very tense. This idea that the bus can't drop below 50 miles an hour is very tense and very, very well done, actually. I also watched The 355, Jessica Chastain's new kind of action comedy spy espionage thriller. Um, and it's very generic of like a group of spies all coming together to defeat a common enemy. But I really enjoyed it. I think critics are being very harsh towards it. I think it was a fun action film and all the characters were really good. It's about this, these group of women that all work for different intelligence agencies around the world. Um, and they all come together to fight this common enemy. And it's really good. It's quite predictable, but I thought it was a, a fun. I had a lot of fun with it. Um, speaking of espionage spy films, I went to see The Kingsman as well. Now, I haven't seen the second Kingsman film, but I saw the first one when it first came out and I loved it. I think it was brilliant. Um, and this is not as good as the first one anywhere near, um, but it is more of the same of the same kind of stuff. Um, so I thought it was really good and the, the critical reception to it has been quite negative, which is surprising because I thought it was... I thought it was perfectly fine. Um, there are some issues with it that you, you could have serious issues with it, um, like serious political issues with it. Um, like, um, I can't remember his name, but the guy who invented concentration camps is in this, and he's a character, and he's not particularly portrayed as bad, which right. is kind of awful. Um, but there's, So I don't know why they included him, because it, it it really doesn't fit and it's unnecessary. It doesn't condemn what he did. And he doesn't, like, he could have just been a fictional person. I don't know why they put him in it. But it's an action comedy, so I don't know. Again, I just don't know why they put him in there. But it's an action comedy, so he, he isn't the center of it. It's not about him. He's just there. So I have no idea why they put him in it. Um, I, I also, I went to see The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne. And I have to say... This was a huge surprise. The first half of this is incredible and cheery and charming, and I adored it. It's unbelievably good. And the first hour of you see Benedict Cumberbatch and Claire Foy fall in love, and the first hour of this film is just magnificent and incredible. And it kind of lost me in the second half. It it wasn't quite as captivating in the second half, but the first half was still really good. And the second half was still good as well. It just was nowhere near as good as the first half. And this is a hot take, but this is Cumberbatch's best performance. He's better in this than in The Power of the Dog. Um, and it's also, I think I am confident in saying this, this is the prettiest film that you can see in a cinema right now. If you went to any cinema in the UK and wanted to look at something that's just pretty this is what you go for it's got gorgeous cinematography and gorgeous lighting it's just incredible and genuinely it's a feast for the eyes um i also watched passing i finally got around to watching passing rebecca hall's debut um and i did get the hype around it it's really really good ruth negger particularly is amazing in this tessa thompson is as well but ruth negger particularly is just fantastic and it's got some of the best cinematography I've, I've seen this year it's gorgeous use of the camera and gorgeous use of lighting and i kind of said this about something else um it, it's one of the few films where it feels like it needs to be in black and white this the fact that it's in black and white is important to the story and it's really really well carried out um i also watched belfast but we're going to get into that when we cover Belfast. But the one thing that I want to go into semi-detail on, and I will be as brief as possible because I've I've watched a lot this week, 
is uh, I finally watched Maggie Gyllenhaal's The Lost Daughter on Netflix. And I'm going to mention it briefly because we haven't talked about it at all. And it's like getting a lot of awards conversations. Um, Mm -hmm. And it is technically fantastic. It's very, very well made. I'm shocked that this is uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal's debut. Um, This is amazing. It's very, very well made. The cinematography, it feels like home video footage at times. And I really don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a very, very good way. Um, It feels so personal and intimate. Um, in that it feels like home video footage like we're watching something that's so private and personal that we shouldn't be allowed in on but we are being and the performances are all fantastic Olivia Coleman is just as she usually is amazing Dakota Johnson doesn't have much to do but what she does have to do she does incredibly well uh, Jesse Buckley as well again is fantastic as usual when uh, is Jesse Buckley not good exactly that's what this whole cast is like. When are they not good? Jesse Buckley is fantastic. Olivia Coleman is fantastic. And Dakota Johnson, whose job in this is 90% to just look hot on a beach. And she does it very well. She does it very well. Um, That's the job I want. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm genuinely surprised that this is Maggie Gyllenhaal's debut because it's amazing. It's so well made on a technical level. However, the issue that I had with it is that at its core, it's a film about motherhood and about being a mother and the complexities of being a mother and I'm not a mother so that didn't really click with me like it's a a very interesting character study of Olivia Coleman's character um but I didn't fully get it because I didn't fully like click with it or love it or understand it on some level I feel like I missed out on something because Coleman is a mother uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal is a mother the author of the book is probably a mother um I say that I say probably a mother because she's anonymous, not because I'm assuming she's a mum. She keeps her identity right. anonymous. Um, but yeah, that, you do do your research. It's not. Yeah, just, I do. I do sure research. People don't think you're an amateur. Yeah. <laughs> um, we are. Amateur. And because I'm not a mother, it just didn't really click with me. Wasn't vibing with it particularly. But I can appreciate that on a technical level, this is fantastic. And I have. Yeah, I actually. Well, I always penned you down as a mother. <laughs> surprisingly i'm not i'm not a parent yet yet yeah don't be pessimistic <laughs> i uh yeah i guess i felt similarly about marriage story really mm. um as my whole thing i was like I, it was technically great and i couldn't say many flaws with it but i just didn't really like really click with me yeah perhaps that's because i've never been divorced probably um, <laughs> or you know have a kid or mm. be involved in a you know you know in you know marriage and you know adult marriage is very different to 20 year old relationships you know what yeah. i mean so it never really vibed with me. And I guess the same thing you're going through here. Yeah. Um, and the last thing that I'll mention, and this is just literally one sentence, is I finally got around to watching Only Murders in the Building, which is available on Disney Plus in the UK. I'm not sure where it's available elsewhere. Um, but it's really good. It's like a murder mystery show with a little bit of comedy about these three people, Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. And there is a murder in their building. And they decide to investigate it by starting their own true crime podcast and unveiling the truth through their podcast. And it's really, really good. It's really like interesting and it'll keep you hooked. And I finished it in a day because it's really, really well done. And I'm really excited to see the second series. And it is genuinely great. And that is everything that I've watched this week, which is quite a hefty amount. Damn, that was a lot, brother. I know, yeah. That was a lot of stuff. I know. Yeah, well. What have you watched this week? uh, well, you know, I would have watched more, but this weekend, Cambridge United 
they went up to Newcastle. League One Cambridge United went up to Newcastle and they pulled off one of the biggest FA Cup upsets of all time. And I was there in the stand. I was there crying my eyes out at full time. Just absolutely loving life. So I was away in Newcastle on the weekend um, and I've had uni work. So I haven't really had any time um, since Thursday. But I've watched, obviously, these two, two films and I've watched... The only other things that I've watched, really, have been uh, the first two Matrix films. So I had never seen The Matrix. I've never seen any of The Matrix films. Um, and in preparation for the newest film, that's just that's still in cinemas, and it's been in cinemas for about three weeks, four weeks now, um, I want to get through them all quickly. Uh, and if this podcast was being recorded when it was originally intended to be recorded, which was tomorrow, uh, I would be able to talk about the new one, because tomorrow I'm going to watch the new one. The th- well, tonight I'm going to watch the third Matrix, Tomorrow I'm going to watch The Fourth Matrix, The 345, and The Kingsman, so I can talk about that next episode. Um, but I can talk now about The Matrix, because I it's a pretty big film to watch the first time. So, yeah, it was really good, right? Like, I, I don't know what what I... I should have expected this. Everyone said that it's one of the best action films of all time. It's, you know, how deep it is and how well it works on so many levels. You know, how surprisingly good as an action star Keanu was. Um, yeah, it's all true. It's excellent. Uh, the first Matrix film, tr- wonderful. Um, it's so of its time. It feels so 1999. The soundtrack and the the obsession with, with, <laughs> with martial arts that came back in the... Well, I guess Matrix brought back into the... Into, the the zeitgeist at that time i guess um but yeah it looks great it's it's the sound is excellent the concept is real smart and um they all of the new box the 4k box set releases of the matrix films all come with um well the first matrix film 4k disc has about nine different commentaries on it it's got like at least like six it's got like one from critics one from the directors one from uh, actors, one from the musician, the composer. It's a music-only track. There's another one. I can't remember what it is. Maybe like producer or something. And then there's a a philosopher's commentary track, um, which is Dr. Cornell West and someone else. Um, name escapes me. But I might, after I watch the third film, I might have to go back and rewatch them all with the, the philosopher's commentary because I think that would be really interesting <laughs> because there yeah. is a kind of, you know, the basic idea of, of the philosophy of the film is very apparent in the first five minutes, ten minutes. But on the deeper level, there's an awful lot that goes in there, especially with The Matrix Reloaded, watching the second one, a film which I thought lacked philosophy, really, and made it worse because it is, there's like 45 minutes of just pure action in the middle of it with no story but it ends with a wonderful piece of philosophy and the, the things with the source code it actually really does turn the whole thing on its head and I thought it was a very interesting decision so I would actually like to go back and re-listen to those but yeah The Matrix it's, it's as good as everyone said I didn't get to see it in cinema when it was re-released which is a shame but I got to see it in 4k so that's the next best thing um, yeah it's it's wonderful I'm, I'm call me a fan second one I thought was was good um, I thought it was it was fun but it did lack a little bit of something. It did feel a little bit more surface level. Um, it, it Again, it, it did get bogged down in one too many just scenes of Keanu just destroying people. Because Keanu is so powerful in that second film because of the events of the first film, at some points it feels a little bit you know, overmatched against everyone. But I do appreciate the steampunk world that they create with uh, 
with uh, Zion. So that, that stuff is good. So yeah, that's that's what I watched this week. Um, I've, so those are the films I'm going to watch. I told you a second ago. But also, uh, we've just got we've just changed network providers, uh, broadcast providers, and it it comes with three free Now TV entertainment. So I might between now and next episode, I might get around to starting to watch Euphoria, which is being talked about so much right now. But yeah, that's that's all. Very interesting. I love The Matrix as well. I need to get around to watching the second one, the third one, and the new fourth one before it leaves cinemas. Um. But I just haven't got around to watching the second and third yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely. Well, I, everyone. I think everybody agrees the first is great yeah. and the third is crap. <laughs> now, people a different degree. I have. I haven't seen the third. I might. I might be a Matrix Revolutions a revisionist. Um, but I think there's a lot of people think that the second is just as bad and all of the sequels are shit. A lot of people think the second is really good. Like JL really likes the second one. Um, I think it's a bit mixed, and then the opinion on the fourth one is also mixed. So I'll have to see what my thoughts are. Maybe I'll be one of those people that only really likes the first and all think this is shit. Maybe I'll uh, I'll love the third surprisingly. We'll have to see. But I'll tell you next week when I when I have finished the the series. Intrigue. I'm excited to hear what you think, and I'm excited to find out what I think as well. I need to I need to watch the Mace app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really do. And again, as in, if if that one, if the original film feels 1999. The second one certainly feels 2003 with the um with the the, the electronic soundtrack that, mm. that is uh, very very early 2000s. I remember very well from when I was uh, a ween. Okay, <laughs> so that's um, all the things we've been watching this week, unless we've forgotten anything. Um, but we're going to move on, and we're going to start off uh, by talking about the Golden Globes. So um, these happened this week and uh, no one noticed because no one cares about the golden globes <laughs> so these was really weird so there was no ceremony mm. there wasn't a an in-person one there wasn't a zoom one either yeah. it was just tweeted out and live blogged yeah. which was an incredibly strange decision yeah um but it, it did happen and there were some really big surprises and there was some not so much surprises. So I'll just read out some of the big ones. The best motion picture awards. So um, all, all the uh, all the major awards, uh, actor, actress, um, and picture are split into uh, musical and comedy uh, and drama. So musical comedy's best picture was West Side Story. Music and comedy's best actress was uh, Nicole. Sorry. For in that thing, musical comedy's best actress was Rachel Zegler for *Wait Side Story*. Mu- uh, music and comedy's best actor was Andrew Garfield for *Tick Tick Boom*. Drama's best picture was *The Power of the Dog*. Drama's best actor was Will Smith, and drama's best actress was Nicole Kidman, which was, um, I think, it's safe to say, the surprise yeah. of the night. Um, other th- you know important awards included. Um, Cody Smith McPhee and Ariana DeBose picking up the Best Supporting Actor and Actress, uh, respectively. Uh, Jane Campion for Power of the Dog in Director. Kenneth Branagh for his screenplay for Belfast. Hans Zimmer for June in the Score category. No Time to Die winning Best Original Song. That's Brian Eyelash. Uh, Best Animated Feature going to Encanto. And Non-English Film going to Drive My Car. So well, that's all of them. Uh, that's all of the, the film uh, awards. So I guess I've already answered it. But what was the biggest surprise? Uh, what was what, what what was the shock of the evening? 
Well, it was... It's it's difficult, actually, because it was Nicole Kidman, obviously. But it wasn't, like, a massive... What? Oh, my God, what? Big shock. Because the Golden Globes love Nicole Kidman. This is, like, her 17th nomination and 5th win. Whereas the other frontrunner, who was, you know, Kristen Stewart, has never been nominated for a Golden Globe. So they don't really know her. Um, whereas they love Nicole Kidman. So... It wasn't a big surprise that Nicole Kidman won if it wasn't Kristen Stewart or Jessica Chastain. It's just no one expected it to be Nicole Kidman. Everyone was thinking yeah. Gaga, Chastain, or Stewart. And then Kidman comes along and wins a Golden Globe for being the Ricardos. And she is very good in being the Ricardos, by the way. But she she isn't as good as um, Kristen Stewart, so... It was a big shock that she won. I was also shocked at how well West Side Story did. Like, I knew West Side Story was going to do well, but it got supporting actress, which I thought it would get, and it got actress, which was a surprise. I thought Alana Hyam would get Best Actress in a Comedy or Musical, uh, but Rachel Zegler got it um, for West Side Story. Mm. And then it got picture, and then when director came around, I thought Steven Spielberg was going to get director as well. Because they'd given it supporting actress, actress, picture. Are they going to give it director as well? They clearly love it. Um, whereas Cumberbatch missed out on best actor, so they don't love Power of the Dog as much. Is uh, Spielberg going to get best director? But no, Campion won best director, which I'm very happy with. Um, and Power of the Dog won best drama, which I'm also very happy with. Um, I'm very happy with most of these results. It was a great crop of winners. No Time to Die's score, um, pick, uh, song win was great. Dune's score win was great um all of the wins yeah best uh animated film with encanto great win andrew garfield winning for tick tick boom we were talking just the other week about how we've both very much warmed up for that to that very much more so me um, yeah i was very yeah. kind of cold on tick tick boom and i've warmed up to it and particularly to andrew garfield's performance and i go so far as to say of of the predicted nominees he's my favorite one so seeing him win the golden globe was really good for me and very exciting. Um, Will Smith won, which is great. Um, and my, I'm very happy yeah. that Ariana DeBose won for West Side Story. This is just a great crop of winners. The Golden Globes got it right. The one year that they don't put it on TV because they're awful, they yeah, actually get yeah, it right. <laughs> the most right they've been. Yeah. It, it's, yeah, for me in general, most of the time, not always, but most of the time I wouldn't pick what they picked, but I haven't got a problem with what they picked. That, that's that that's you know which is more than you can ask for for most big award ceremonies really but it's like i probably would have um i probably like for example um in in actor i probably would have picked Benedict Cumberbatch over Will Smith probably but i don't have a problem at all Will Smith's great um in you know in best uh director you know i would have like ideally i would have liked june obviously i know it's not realistic but i would like june but then power jane campion it's a great winner you know um best original song probably be alive for me but no time to die i'm really happy with as well Mm. so it's all that thing the only thing that for me makes me sick to my stomach um now i am i can't really say it though but i'm so i'm annoyed really annoyed that christian stewart didn't win yeah the politics of it, you explained. I haven't seen Being Ricardo's yet, so I am a hypocrite. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm off. I can't really say that Nicole Kidman doesn't deserve it because I haven't seen it. Yeah. But 
I ha- I think Kristen Stewart's performance is one of the best performances I've ever seen. So if Nicole Kidman really pulls out a 10 out of 10, <laughs> one of the best performances I've ever seen, playing Lucille Ball in Being the Ricardos, yeah, then I good. guess I have to throw my hands up and say I've got it wrong. <laughs> but unless that happens, I'm I'm fairly certain that's a ridiculous thing to happen. Yeah. Um, maybe, you know, Coleman might be better than... Uh, sorry, Kidman might be better than Coleman or Gaga or, or Chastain. I don't know. But... Um, I have to see, but there are things I'd like to say about, you know, I, I, I haven't seen Belfast. I can't talk about licorice pizza, <laughs> so there are things I can't, you know, that that I I, I lack, yeah. you know, thing. But uh, yeah, overall, I'm fairly happy. Yeah, you see, West Side Story came out as kind of one of the big winners of the day. Mm. The the film with the most, so Belfast and Power of the Dog had the most nominations with seven, but the films of most wins were Power of the Dog and West Side Story. So West Side Story mm. won three awards out of four noms. That's pretty wow. good. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's generally probably better than 99% of years in terms of, of how right they were. And they're also quite like the nominations. Like I was very, I know because it's got the musical com- uh, comedy category, you know, you've got a lot of films that don't get talked about at all for Oscars. Um, but I was like, to, like, very happy to see Emma Stone get a nomination for Cruella because even though it, she, obviously she doesn't deserve an Oscar nomination, I do I do think she deserves some credit for being very... I thought she was excellent in Cruella. At the start of the year, when it came out, I remember saying, oh, you know, it depends, depending how strong the year is, she might be in Oscar conversations. It turns out that, that there is just five people that are better. But Cruella, I think, deserves more credit than it gets. So, you know, I'm happy that it did get some credit um we're not really don't we don't really talk that much about tv shows on this podcast um we do a few here and there uh one tv shows that we do talk about the most uh is ted lasso and uh, ted lasso did win uh and uh got a tv golden globe for uh best actor in a musical comedy television series for jason sudeikis uh succession did very well uh around the the rest of the categories it won best drama and best actor and best supporting actress, um, Squid Game, which I'm a big fan. Well, I was a big fan of, and uh, Brandon was a big fan of. Got a few nominations, and um, but it got a win. Uh, oh Young Soo for uh, Il Nam, who's number one. Uh, very well, very deserved win. So big of him. Uh, and there was where did you see the reply we got on Twitter today? Um, I'm not sure. No, I don't think so. We uh, so um, uh, Michaela Antonia J Rodriguez, MJ Rodriguez, mm-hmm. um, won uh, the best uh, actress uh, for drama television award for her role in Pose. Um, she's the first uh, trans woman to win a Golden Globe. Uh, and we had some transphobe reply to our Twitter today. So, oh, no, yeah, I so I've, I've, I would have remembered that. I blocked them and uh, I hit, hit the comment. But yeah, it was like, um, like the old men taking over the women. Oh, like, oh, okay, see, see you, pal. Um, but yeah, um, as well as there are idiots, uh, it's nice to see uh, representation in, mm-hmm. in the On Globes, um, you know, which, which is nice. So, overall, it was a, a pretty good year for for the Golden Globes, which you can't often say, aside from the fact they completely stubbed Stewart. So there was that. Some sadder news uh, this week, uh, which is that uh, Sidney Poitier um, 
died uh, age 94. Now, of course, you know, he's 94, so it's not like, um, you know, he wasn't taken too soon. But he, uh, of course, one of the greatest actors of all time and the first black man to win a Best Actor Oscar. Um, and he was in more films than I could I could ever name. But, you know, uh, guess who's coming to dinner and the organisation and separate but equal and a million things. Um but uh, Lilies of the Field, that's that's what he won his uh, best actor for. But one of the greatest actors of all time. Um, and, um, you know, of course, uh, when, you know, he will be missed. Um, and, yeah, uh, rest in peace to Sidney Poitier. Also this week, uh, writer and director Peter Bogdanovich died, uh, aged 82. Uh, kind of well, very well respected in the industry and kind of a legend. He, he directed uh, The Last Picture Show, which got eight Academy Award nominations. And he directed Targets, he directed uh, What's Up Doc, Paper Moon, a million other um, very well-respected films, uh, and continued uh, into into last decade. So, um, also a historian, just uh, one of the, kind of the the great old guard of of Hollywood, and, and he will also be missed. Uh, aside from that bad news, uh, I just want to have one piece of film news that's come out this week, which is that uh, director Michael Sarnowski has been, uh, is, is going to be directing a spin-off of A Quiet Place. So, you know, Michael Sarnowski, known because he directed Pig, which came out this year uh, or last year with Nicolas Cage, and he's going to be doing a a, a spin-off of, of The Quiet Place films, being you both big fans of both The Quiet Place films uh, we did on the podcast. Uh, so to see the 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 universe, the world that they've built up there, which has a lot of good potential, um, being being span off into a different concept with different bunch of characters, I'm very excited about. Yeah, I didn't know that, actually. That's the first I've heard of that. So that is very exciting. Have you got any news? Um, no, not particularly. Not that I can recall. Oh, Gal Gadot is remaking uh, an Alfred Hitchcock film. Um, I can't remember the, which one, but she's remaking an Alfred Hitchcock film. And... I have no idea how she keeps getting cast in these types of films. It's shocking. She's not a very good actress. Uh, she's in To Catch a Thief. She's remaking To Catch a Thief. Uh, and Eileen Jones yeah. is set to write it. Um, a pointless remake. You know, why remake remake Hitchcock? Um, and if you're going to remake Hitchcock, why would you cast Gal Gadot? I'm pretty sure that Grace Kelly is the person who Gal Gadot will be replacing as well, which kind of makes it worse um, but yeah, that's the only news that I have, so that is bad news. <laughs> what, if it's, what if it's better than the original? What if it's actually really, really good? What Did you ask me what remake is really good, or did you say that one was good? No, I said what if that ends up being really, really good? Like, if that, that ends up being really, way really better good, than the I will give you £100. Okay, sounds good. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, the annoying thing about that news is that it reminded me about Rebecca, which I, oh, can, yes, I completely I forced out of my brain. Just did you goes see to show, yeah, I did. Just goes to show why remake Fucking Hitchcock. Awful. Yeah, that film was dreadful. Yeah, um, yeah. As much as is it? Who was it? Was Keely Hawes in that? Um, is she, is she in that? Who was it? I can't remember who was in it. I can't remember. There's somebody really good. There's somebody who really stood out. Some like UK actress that really stood out. I remember being like, oh my god, she was really good. It wasn't Keely Hawes? Who was it? Kristen Stott Thomas. That was it. Was. That was it. She was really good. <laughs> Not Keely yours. Um, 
Yeah, but uh, yeah, that film was awful. And we did it on the podcast. So you can go back and listen to our review of Rebecca if you like. Because I actually thought I did get quite angry about her, if I remember correctly. Okay, I've got a bit of a sore throat today, by the way, if that's wondering why I'm talking kind of quieter than usual. Um, so, you know, it's probably COVID or something. But, you know, never mind. <laughs> get well soon. We're going to start off. We're going to start off today uh, by looking at Licorice Pizza uh, of the two films. So uh, this film was released on uh, a wide release on Christmas Day in the UK. Well, I say wide release. It got a limited release on in on Christmas Day, and then it's being slowly released to more and more cinemas. I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but like there wasn't any cinemas showing it in 2021, and then now they're showing it. They they started showing it in a few, and then now they're bringing it to like decently sp- uh, small ones, like quite s- small ones, which is interesting. Like now they're showing it at Wembley, so they're slowly rolling the pizza out. Uh, Odeon have only adding more and more uh, venues as well, but it has obviously got Golden Globe no- uh, nominations. Like we mentioned before, it got nominated for um, best uh, motion picture musical comedy. It got nominated for uh, best actor and actress musical comedy. And I believe also um, best screenplay. So obviously, decent amount of awards talk, and it has been a lot of awards talk uh, about it for the Oscars as well. You have very much made it very clear that you you have a lot of love for this film. Um, I guess there's also one thing notable about this is that it stars. It's about um, kind of people that come from these. It's like uh, it's. This, the main character comes from this like family is rich you know he comes into it with this whole like he's an actor and that stuff and he is at the son Cooper Hoffman is the son of Philip Seymour Hoffman and Alana Haim is in this family of of fame in, in her band with her sisters who are both in this and her parents who are both in this so there's this whole kind of um well, people say fail son. I don't know what the, uh, I don't know if there's a, is there a positive fail son, a success son? Um, the, the, the kind of family thing. Um, but yeah, the, uh, I'm just going off a weird tangent there. But I didn't, when I first watched it, I didn't know it was Philip Seymour Hoffman's son. So, you know, didn't that's you? a nice touch. No, I didn't know. But he does look a lot like him, doesn't he? He does, yeah. They've got the same look. Yeah, but the, so Licorice Pizza, a bit like I said earlier, is a look at 70s Los Angeles. Um, and a one character, Gary, who falls in love with a girl 10 years older than him and spends the rest of the film trying to woo her for a series of little vignettes of different areas of, of LA at the time with different wacky characters, including, uh, well, being played by Sean Penn, um, Bradley Cooper, Benny Safdie, Tom Waits, um, Mary Elizabeth Ellis, um, even there's even a John C. Riley cameo. I don't know if you noticed it. Um, yeah, and yeah. yeah, so it's it's got a, a cast of a wacky cast of characters in a and a lot a load of kind of small vignettes, small stories around these these characters of Alana and Gary. So I'll uh, I'll let you start on this. Uh, is that what we said? I'll let you start on yeah. this. Um, so you obviously love Licorice Pizza. What do you love so much about it? Well, Licorice Pizza is just a delight. It is. I I saw it on the 27th of December, like you say, it got a very, very limited release. It was in an independent cinema in in Manchester. I caught it on 35mm as well, which made it even better. 
Um, and it's just great. It's wonderful. The cinematography is gorgeous. And the lighting and the cinematography just screams 1970s. And seeing it on 35mm as well just emphasised that nostalgic 70s feel. And it's just gorgeous to look at. And it's amazing to just bask in. Um, and as well, the music is fantastic. The soundtrack is great. Um, but also John and Greenwood's score, which isn't in it much, but it is there, uh, is great. And the screenplay is funny. Mostly there are a few trip-ups, like there's a, a bit of a, a controversial racist joke in it that's caused a lot of disruption on film Twitter. Um, but for the most part, it's a very funny screenplay. Um, the, it's very charming screenplay as well. The characters are very well fleshed out. I feel connected to the characters. Um and they all all it portrays all of their differences very very well, and these are very different types of people, Alana and Gary, and and Paul Thomas Anderson's direction is as confident as ever, and this is a love letter to his childhood, and it's very evident in that, and the love he has and the nostalgia that he has for this time period and this location, really really shines through. Um, so that's what I love about on a technical level that was very short because what most of what I love about this is, is beneath the surface. Um, and it's mostly with Alana Himes character of Alana Kane. And to me, I know this is a romantic story, but for me, it's not, it's, it's really not a romantic story. I don't view this as a rom-com. I don't view it as a romantic coming of age film. Um, I view this as Alana's coming of age film. And Gary and Alana, I don't see them as a couple. Alana sets boundaries repeatedly, and for the most part, she sticks to them. But eventually, she gives in to Gary's confidence and his charm, and in a way, in a way, his persistence, because he is very confident and he's very charming, and it makes the audience love him as well, and it makes Alana love him as well. But I view their relationship as platonic, apart from a few moments. I view their relationship as completely platonic. She does love him, but she loves him like a brother. Like, she loves him that she wants to protect him. You know, when he gets arrested, she rushes to, to be with him to protect him. Not because she loves him romantically, but because she loves him platonically. Right, okay. If your girlfriend got arrested, like, you would do that as well. Well, yeah, I would do. But I didn't feel like that's what Alana was doing. Because she was saying, like, for me, it felt like she was comforting him because she was the adult in the situation and he would have been scared so she was like don't worry i'm gonna come and i'm gonna fix this rather than just i'm here for you it was like i'm gonna sort this out don't worry i'll find you um and that's how it felt it felt very platonic she it felt like she was he it felt like in a way where when a babysitter starts to love the child that they're looking after they don't love them romantically they just love those kids like my auntie is a childminder my auntie loves the kids that she used to look after um every time she goes to manchester to visit my nieces and my sisters she always pays them a visit as well because she you know looked after them every day for years and she loves those kids and those kids love her and it's not romantic obviously it's a purely platonic type of love and that's how i feel about alana and carrie um but mostly what i love about this film is the arc of alana because it, it's to me this is her film you can look at this through two different ways to me you can either look at it from alana's perspective or you can look at it from gary's perspective people will go and see this and they'll watch it like they're gary they'll just put on some rose tinting glasses and go along for the ride 
or you'll watch it from Alana's perspective and see Alana, this really crucial moment in Alana's life where, you know, she's the youngest child. So she's always been reliant. She's never been relied upon because she's the youngest. She's never had to look after her siblings because she's the youngest. And I'm the youngest sibling as well. So I relate to that in that way. And she works in a school. So she's always surrounded by teenagers. So she feels like a child and she feels like she's not an adult yet. And then she meets Gary and his friends and they start hanging out. And then the moment where they're messing about on the hill with the gas canisters or whatever they are, and she's sat on the floor, that's the moment it hits her where she realizes that she's not a child anymore and she is an adult and she has to sort her life out. And that's actually a really sad moment for me to see the moment the realization hit her that she's not a child anymore. That moment hits us all at some point and when it does and when you see it hit Alana it's just so sad to see that she thinks she's gonna have to leave this life behind because she's a child she's not a child anymore and she goes to be an adult and she goes to work in a politician's office and the contrast between her in the first half of just going along with Gary and his schemes and in the second half where she's resisting it but she clearly wants to do it is so stark and interesting like the contrast towards the end of Gary in this pinball palace where it's lively and loud and full of kids and it's just fun and then it cuts to Alana in the politician's office and she's being told to fuck off by someone on the phone and she's trying to talk about corruption in the government it doesn't feel right it feels like she it feels like she is a child in an adult's environment and Gary is an adult in a child's environment because he's very he's very old for his age. You know, he's old at heart or whatever. Um, but in the end, and this is why I say I don't view it romantically, at the end, they run back to each other and they, they run back to one another and they end up back with one another. Um, and for me, I didn't see that or I didn't interpret that as much as I know on the surface that's what it is. That's not how I, this isn't how I interpreted it. I didn't see it as Alana going back to be with Gary romantically. I saw it as her saying, I don't want to, I can be an adult and still have fun. I don't have to sit in a politician's office in silence all day. I can run a pinball palace and still be an adult. And this entire film, a lot of the supporting characters in this film, like Sean Penn, and I'm not sure of the actor's name, but the character Rex Blau, the director who um, gets the motorbike that Sean Penn rides, and uh, the people who sell the waterbeds, and the uh, casting agent played by Harriet Sansom Harris, who is incredible in this film. She's a scene stealer. Um, the idea that adulthood is like inherently sensible is completely deconstructed in this film. And because we all view, like, if you're an adult, you have to be sensible. And we associate sensibility with adulthood. And this film kind of says, no, you don't have to be sensible to be an adult. You can be stupid and have fun and run a pinball palace and still be an adult. And that's what Alana chooses at the end. It's not that she chooses Gary. It's that she chooses fun and she chooses to have a fun life. And I really, really adore that about it because you know Alana's 25 I'm 23 and we're both at the kind of, the same kind of stage where we're not a kid but we don't feel like an adult you know I'm not a kid anymore I'm a full-blown adult but I don't feel like an adult I don't feel ready to take on the world yet I still feel like a child and that's how Alana feels and I really see myself in that so yeah I, I don't see this as 
a romantic story of Alana and Gary being romantic together. I see this as Alana growing up and Gary's just kind of there. You know, he's superfluous to Alana's story. He's the vessel through which Alana realizes this change that she has to go through. Um, and I think it's just delightful. It's just a delight to watch. And I, I saw it and I had a smile on my face constantly. And I've seen it three times since I first saw it. And I love it so much every time. And I just watch it and I have a, a, a huge smile on my face all the way through because it's just wonderful. And this idea that I, I said about Gary having these rose-tinted glasses on, in, which is also kind of re like reflected in the cinematography of this it's very bright, vivid cinematography with a lot of harsh light shining through lens flares and stuff. Um, and it really feels like that. You know, Gary... It's very obvious that Gary has romanticized this platonic relationship, or that's how I see it anyway, that, you know, she doesn't love him in that way, but he does, and Gary sees the world through this childish lens, and Alana has had that lens taken away from her throughout the process of this film, and it's it's just, I just love it, I think it's wonderful, and to see that change that she goes through and it's so well acted by Alana Haim and Cooper Hoffman as well. I just love it. I just think it's wonderful. I do have a few issues with it. Um, it's not perfect, but I love it. And I feel slightly difficult, difficultly. It's quite difficult for me to think about in terms of a rating that we'll get onto in a minute. Cause I said, when I came out of this, I love this in the same way that I love Nomadland. I, I genuinely just love it and I've connected with it, and I completely vibed with it, and I can't get enough of it, but it doesn't feel perfect in the same way. Like, when I watched Nomadland, I thought, I love this, and I've connected with it, and I've vibed with it, and I think it's perfect. I think my love of it is justified in the, the technical quality of it. I don't know if my love of it is justified in the technical quality of it, because I thought the pacing is a bit off, at times, I think the I think the first hour is magical. The first hour is perfect. I remember the first time I saw it, I thought I was watching it, and I thought this is the best thing I've ever seen. This is just perfect. And then it massively slows down in the second act, particularly right in the middle when mm. Bradley Cooper's character comes along. And Bradley Cooper, I forgot to say, he's another one of the adults who are kind of proven to not be sensible, and kind of decimates this idea that you know once you become an adult, you have to be sensible because he's just ridiculous. And he's wonderful in this as well. He's absolutely great. He's hilarious. Um, but he, it does kind of bring the pacing down. It slows the pacing down. And the first time I saw it, I said, you could cut that section out with Bradley Cooper completely. And I think it would help the film. But the second time and the third time, I didn't mind as much. I was kind of just there for the ride. And I just really just love it and I can't get enough of it and I've really really vibed with this and I can't see I can't see anything being better than it this year I just love it and it's a very divisive film both of the films that we're doing today both of which I love are very divisive films so I'm very nervous to hear if you hate it <laughs> so what yeah. do you think about licorice pizza what do I think about Licorice Pizza, eh? Um, well, right. It's always hard to know where to start. Yeah. Um, I really, really, really liked Licorice Pizza. I love yes. Licorice Pizza. Let's um, 
so you can have your 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 uh, <laughs> you can you don't have to you don't have to uh, be concerned anymore. That, that stress is we gone. can now. bully Jay up, up together. Until... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, Jay, I was not a big fan of this film. Um, yeah, I I guess I saw this film through through Gary's eyes. I think um, a lot of what you say is uh, very a lot of um, points very well made, especially on the the nature of. The, you know, the more adult characters being more childish and the more childish characters being more adult, whatever, you know, you know all that, that thing, you know, with Bradley Goob's character. I think it's a good point, but I think uh, it, it would... I think there is definitely... A, this is a romance, I think. I think that um, there is definitely... The, the, the boundaries being set and there's, there is definitely an air of, of, of her wanting to be platonic, but I think it would be... I think that the film does set up for a moments and some people can say, Oh, you know, 15, 25, yeah, that, that's illegal. That's dodgy. But I think the whole point is, is not to say that, you know, that's fine. Go, go shag a 15 year old. I think the point is more, um, that this is, is another element of this is this whole film's existence is remember the seventies. And I think the fact that people were more open to things like that back then. And, uh, it, even though society has progressed to the point where now we can look and say that is weird, people were far less concerned about things like that. That people wouldn't, you know, it wasn't in the same way that it is, and you could get away with that. Especially, you know, the the, the people think of of women less being being paedophiles or whatever. Um, but I, so I do think it definitely is a romance. But it, again, it's that whole Twitter discourse thing that's been going around recently, which is like. And same with Red Rocket as well, which also has you know similar issues. That thing of like, if you have a, something in a film, you're endorsing it. Now that's the point. Yeah. And that this is not endorsing her being getting off because that is paedophilia. You know, fifteen year old and twenty five year old. That is a that is paedophilia. Yeah, definitely. It's not endorsing it. It's just in the film. Yeah. But despite that paedophilia, you know, well, not despite it because I, <laughs> I don't think it's a problem. Um, but the thing it it is you know it's it's a wonderful film and. I, I think um you know, I, I interpret Cooper Cooper Hoffman's character Gary. I see it in the view of like of I feel not everyone, but you know, an awful lot of, 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 of blokes, uh you know, including myself, can can sympathise and um identify with chasing uh, a girl that is you know, that that you is you know out of your league for for a long time you know trying to trying to work you know like always trying to get with, with someone that's out of your league and just keep working at it and working at it and working at it and I think uh, you know that part of him I could uh, I could see and I, I thought that he, that he was he was really funny I thought that Cooper Hoffman isn't being talked about enough everyone's talking about how good Lana Haim is um, yeah. and she deserves all the nominations of course I think Lana Haim deserves you know Oscar nominations but I don't know why Cooper Hoffman isn't being talked about in the same mm. uh, category I think that, that he is just as good I think he's absolutely excellent um, and I haven't seen him anything else before. I don't know if he's been in anything else before. I've not seen anything before. I think it's, you know, he, he the, the acting performances here are, are so strong. Obviously, the, the main two are the ones that can attract the, the, the attention. But I think that all of these little different individual characters in these little vignettes, you know, Benny Safdie and and Sean Penn and namely Bradley and, and Mary Elizabeth Ellis and, but I, I think mainly um, Bradley Cooper for me. I thought Bradley Cooper... You know, I, I, you said about pacing issues. I'll get back to that. But I never had an issue with the pacing issues of Bradley Cooper. I thought that I did. That wasn't when it set in because I loved every single second that Bradley Cooper was on screen and he played John Pierce. He was 
electric. He was hilarious. I think it's so well. I mean, I think that, that it was, oh, he is an exceptionally talented actor. Uh, and the range that he has is, 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 is out of this world. And he's great here. I, I thought that was one of the highlights. It, it's interesting that this has been compared so much to Once Upon a Time, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm sure you've heard that. Um, and I couldn't disagree anymore, really. Um, that, that sounded like, I, I, I completely disagree with that comparison in a way because these are both, you know, that is a film based on 60s Hollywood. This is Tarantino saying, look at how good 60s Hollywood is. This is what 60s Hollywood was like. Licorice Pizza is Paul Thomas Anderson saying, look at 70s Hollywood. Look what that's like. So you think, okay, natural comparison. But the way they do it is so different because when Tarantino makes Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, it's all about looking outwards, the bigger picture. It's all massive flat vistas, wide shots, you know, these, these, all the production design is all so big. It's creating the whole of Hollywood. It's this. It's, it's all about the size of it. It's all about the expanse of LA, the flatness of it. The, it's all about, you know, cars going down streets with you're seeing the whole of the Hollywood hills behind them. It's all about the size of it. Whereas Licorice Pizza, the way that Paul Thomas Anderson does this, is the complete opposite. It's looking really insular. It's looking really close. It's all... It's not these big wide shots of, of the Hollywood Hills. It's little individual stories of people. These little individual vignettes are a million different stories of what it was like at the time. These different characters representing different times, different people. These kind of wacky, kooky characters you got in Hollywood. You know, there's a, 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 a an old film director. There is a an old actor. There's a talent agent. There's a young actor. There's a someone that's supposed to be Lucille Ball. There's all these different characters that are, you know, supposed to be different kind of people in Hollywood. And it's all so personal. It's all little things. Every single second you spend with each one of these characters is worth a thousand minutes in other films of character development. You feel like you know these characters so well, just all these little things. It's such a different approach to the one that that Tarantino takes. And one's not better than the other, but I think this really works well. And... I was really enjoying it. a bit like you say. I was really enjoying these little vignettes. It starts off with a kind of a, a kind of a lengthy lengthy section just about Alana and Gary, and you know you kind of don't realise you're in that narrative structure yet, and then it starts to get pulled into these little individual stories, and it does start to get a bit boring. I thought you know later on there are bits that pulled me out. I was a bit more excited for one thing and then bored for another, and yeah, like I thought the Sean Penn bit went on a little bit too long, but. Ultimately, I thought it ends really strong. It starts really strong, and there are so many little fun little kind of sketches in there that, that this is just wonderful. Um, one of the key things I will talk about today, and I'll bring it up later, is color. This is shot so impeccably well, mm-hmm. and it looks so beautiful. Yeah. The color they use is so of its time. It's so it's it's not you know it's not the other Anderson. It's not like a Wes Anderson kind of palette of pastel and it's not yeah. like Tatan's palette I'll talk about later of these kind of big metallic you know these blues and stuff it's it's very muted but it, it just feels so right and it's every shot is a picture every shot is a po- is a, is, a, is a is a poster it's just oh it's it's so well done and it feels very 70s it feels very LA yeah. I think this whole film it very much you know is built upon the idea that that, that you're 
much like once upon a time. I guess that's going back to the comparison. You will be able to step into LA for that time. But but the way it does it, I think is great. I think the characters are well written. I think the screenplay is great. It's very funny. Now, of course, you also talked about the the racism thing. So so there is a character in this film, played by John Michael Higgins, who um, is he opens up a, a Japanese restaurant, and then when he goes to talk to, he has a Japanese wife, and when he talks to talks to his wife. He pretends to talk Japanese, but instead of talking Japanese, he's just talking English in like an incredibly over-the-top racist accent. And he does this. He shows up twice throughout this film with different wives and does the same thing. Now, the second time, I'll do this out of order. The second time, when you're watching it, when he does it again, you think the joke's on him. He's such an idiot. That's what's this. You can't. I think. Oh, you know, you can laugh at this because he's such an idiot. It's not about the racism. It's about the thing, but. You have to go through the first time first. And that means I didn't laugh, but there was a cinema full of people that were laughing at just racism. The, yeah, uh, the joke, the I, like, to me. yeah, it's like, I think that, that he has the best intentions here. He's not saying racism funny. He's saying, look at this stupid racist. This is what people were like in the seventies. I think that's fine. But the problem is, is that if you, to set that up, if you have to take the fall of people actually laughing at the racism, you've kind mm-hmm. of failed, I think. So, I don't think that he, that, that Paul Thomas Anderson's a bad guy. I don't think he's racist. I think, I know what he was going for, but at the end of the day, it's not worth the expense of people laughing at what was essentially just racism the first time. So that, that was a miss for me. Um, you know, the, the controversy around the age gap, I think that, that that justifies itself in, in the story that is told. Um, but I think that it, it, that it's, it's overall, it's a beautiful film. It's a charming film. It's a very well written film. It's very interesting. I like the narrative structure a lot. These get slightly boring at points, but you know, on paper, you know, I, I like the, the way that it was formatted. A lot of very individual, interesting stories. Like Benny Safdie's story, kind of towards the end, pulled me back in. I was like, oh, that's a nice touch. Um, uh, even you know, after I thought the political stuff was a bit boring, and then Benny Safdie's conversation in in the restaurant was 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 a highlight. Um, the the music. Well, last thing I'll say, the music is really, 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 really good. You talk about Johnny Greenwood. Johnny Greenwood is had an unbelievable year he did power the dog he did the score power the dog he did the score for this he did the score for spencer um but he isn't really the standout here the standout is whoever picked the the jukebox you know the the amount of great tunes in there uh you know you've got chuck berry you've got the doors uh wings need us yeah it's great but the highlight of course you know when i was there was a thing i'm a massive bowie fan Life on Mars comes on. It's a lovely moment as well in the film. Mm. I was just smiling cheek to cheek. Um, it's just a great soundtrack. It's very well done. Um, yeah, and and when what Johnny Greenwood does do is done well. Yeah, I I agree with basically everything you've said as well. Um, talking about that joke again, that racist joke. Um, I agree. It it I think I get what PTA was going for, but it really didn't land, and I didn't think it was funny. But the cinema you know, erupted with laughter when it happened and it was just kind of uncomfortable um, because, you know, you can do that where it's, oh, we're laughing at how racist he is, we're laughing at how stupid he is, but it definitely felt the first time like we were just meant to laugh at the racism and it just didn't work. Yeah, I didn't vibe with it at all. Um, and it, it's even more frustrating because there's a version of that joke that would be funny um, like if he was just speaking English, if he just asked her a question in English and then she responded in Japanese and he 
you know, relayed what she said. And then the the funny part of this joke is when she responds and Gary says, oh, what did she say? And he turns and he says, oh, I've got no idea. I don't speak Japanese. And I think that bit was funny. Yeah, that's, that's funny. That, would, that was funny, but it was tarnished by what came before it. It would have been yeah. kind of a, a better joke if it just ran from the first time we met him. He said to her in English with his normal American accent, um, what do you think about this? Do you think we should put the food in? And then she responds in Japanese and he relays it to her and it happens again. And then when someone says, what did she say? And he just goes, oh, I've got no idea. I don't speak Japanese. That would have been funny. We would have been laughing at how ignorant he is, but it didn't feel like that. So it just fell flat. And I, I really wish it wasn't here because it really did tarnish it. Um, um, with regards to everything else that you said, I do agree. This this is a romance film. I'm not saying that it's not a romance film. I'm just saying that the way I interpreted it, my experience of it was not focused on the romance. I, I, I never bought into their excuse me, I never bought into their relationship because of their age gap, because of their um, lack of chemistry, because she is an adult and he is a child. They never really have that romantic chemistry. So when they kiss, it does kind of make you uncomfortable a bit. Um, and I never thought of it as romantically in that sense. That's not how I interpreted this story. It was always about their friendship and about Alana's experience of growing up and Alana's experience of doing this. Um, but going back to, like you said, about Cooper Hoffman being just as good, he is just as good. He is fantastic. His confidence, to say this is his debut and he was like 17 when they filmed this, he is incredibly confident. Um, this character is confident and his portrayal is confident. The opening scene is just intoxicating. It's incredible. His confidence throughout that scene, his certainty, and Alana keeps batting him down, but he keeps, it doesn't bother him. Like, she says something so casual, like, she just flippantly says, oh, come on, man. And he goes, like, man, I like that. And it's just so charming, and it makes the audience fall for him, and slowly, it makes Alana fall for him as well. And the moment when she does turn up, he asks her for dinner, and the moment where she turns up for dinner, and you just see her silhouette creep in the back, and the music starts to play at the same time, it's just full of those moments that just light up your face. Every needle drop is incredible. It's exquisite. And I just love it. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to say that I found it boring when the pacing slowed down. But the pacing definitely slows down massively. And it does kind of grind to a halt. But I never found it boring. Um, especially the second time and the third time that I've seen it. It just... I didn't mind as much the pacing. It still slows down, but it never... It didn't bother me by the third time I'd seen it. But... It never, I never found it boring, but it does grind to a halt. So I, I completely understand what you're saying with that, yeah. Um, and the colours, yeah. yeah. Again, like you say, it's just so gorgeous. And I feel so lucky to have caught it on 35mm as well, because that just emphasised how gorgeous it looked. The colours were so much more vivid. And you've seen the crackle of the film. It was, it's just amazing. And it was, it was so good to see on the big screen. And... I urge you to go and see it. If your local Odeon isn't playing it, try and find the cinema that is, because it's just a, a delight of a film. It's so much fun, and just get lost in this world of the 70s again. And and like you said quickly about um, comparisons to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I completely agree. I mean, I have compared it to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because they're both just vibing in Los Angeles in a historical period, but it's also so different. This 
feel once upon a time in hollywood i suppose it's kind of because it's about making films as well it always feels very stagey this feels so authentic and this i don't know whether it's just because of the choice of cinematography like this looks and sounds like a film from the 70s as well it feels so much more authentic and so much more real than once upon a time in hollywood um and i just love it i really do just love it yeah 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 definitely um i think that 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 people overuse the phrase love letter to uh, like people say oh it's a love letter to something and he's a love letter mm. to that this film's a love letter to whatever this love film's a love letter to, to Aegon Toast. this is a this is a real love letter to los angeles this is a real love letter to 70s, yeah. 70s los angeles which is i guess the best comparison that you can be making to to, to once upon a they're both mm. love letters to that place and time with with where those directors f- feel the most comfortable in their own head um, you know, that's what, what, you know, this is a film about growing up and coming of age in 70s LA. Yeah. Obviously, a feeling that he would have gone through, Paul Thomas Anderson himself. And I know a lot of what happens, a lot of Gary's character is very, very real. I think there is a, a person called Gary who was in films with Lucille Ball, obviously as a Lucille yeah. Ball replacement, but I think in similar things that owned a, a, a pinball, uh, arcade that owned yeah. a, a waterbed company that sold a waterbed to john peters like all those so there is an awful lot of reality uh in this um and i think that, it, that that is what helps to make it feel so authentic because these are true stories um and yeah it is it's it is kind of 101 short stories really and i think it works so well and you get some really good little performances here and there um and yeah so there's harriet samson harris that's the the one that yeah she is about. wonderful in this she steals the show for me when she's talking to alana at the the casting meeting and she's saying like you know you remind me of a dog an english pit bulldog with sex appeal it's just it's so funny that scene and harriet sonson harris is incredible in it and it's one of the best scenes of the year one of the best scenes i've seen in a while it's brilliant i don't know it feels we've gone through it quite quick i don't know if we have actually you waffled on quite a lot i did but yeah. i think I think that that's pretty much it for, for Licorice Peter. Yeah, I do um, have one thing that I briefly want to say. This isn't about the film. This is kind of tied to what you said at the beginning. Um, it made me realise this film, I was reading about the cast of this film, about how deeply nepotism runs in Hollywood. Um, because this film, obviously written and directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, uh, his wife, Maya Rudolph, is in it. Their children are in it. Cooper Hoffman is obviously Philip Seymour Hoffman's uh child uh the guy who sells the waterbed to gary is leonardo dicaprio's dad who was a big figure in 70s la apparently um what was the other one? Oh yeah alana heim her parents are in this obviously that her actual parents play her parents and her mum was paul thomas anderson's babysitter or his, te- his teacher and his crush on alana heim's mum is the basis of this story um so yeah, it's a very weirdly interconnected cast of people in this film. Well, I was gonna, I was going to edit that out because I was just waffling, but I guess I have to keep that in now. So I guess you made my editing job easy. Yeah, um, I can't believe you're going to edit that out. Because I was kind of like, um, yeah, they're kind of like related, like uh, I know it, um, I always made it interesting because Gary even says at one point, um, "Oh no, she was my babysitter once." About Alana, because this was based on Paul Thomas Anderson's crush on Alana Heim's mum. 
and Alana Haim plays right, okay. her mum. Like, that's weird. But yeah, anyway, that's just something I thought was interesting about it. Yeah. And if you edit yeah. out, I'm going to kick off. Simple as. Okay, so um, moving on to our, our ratings and our reviews, uh, our, our, our man of the matches. So I'm going to start off. I am going to give Licorice Pizza, you know, it's it's excellent. It's the, I love the the, the vibe, the colour, the acting, you know, almost everything about it. However, I did think it got to a point where I was a little bit tired of the shtick towards the end. I did find myself a little bored. I did, um, you know, obviously the racist joke, but that's not really like a massive thing. But yeah, it's the pacing, I guess, more than anything, stopped it from being like one of my like top, top of the year, I guess. Um, but it will be towards the, the top end um, of 2022, f- for sure, for sure. Oh, no, it was 2021, wasn't it? Was it Technically, yeah. Well, it it's a 2021 film, but it got released in the UK. Limited release, 27th of December. Proper release, 1st of January. So yeah. Interesting. I don't know what to, what to call it then. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10. That is higher than I thought. I thought you were going to go for an 8. That is difficult, because like I said, I love this film in the same way that I love Nomadland. I love it more than most films I've seen, um, but I feel like it does have some issues with it technically, so it's either a 9 or a 10, and I don't know which one it is, because I love it as though it's a 10 out of 10, but those issues make me feel like it shouldn't be a 10 out of 10. Um, well, uh, have I have have I got a number for you? I know, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm not gonna give it a nine and a half. I like to I like to go with like one or the other, and I think I'm gonna side with my feelings on this. I'm gonna side with my heart and not my head, and I'm gonna say, regardless of its um, regardless of the flaws that it has, because I feel like when we talk about Nomadland in the same way as loving this, um, I don't feel like it has flaws. I love Nomadland. I think it's perfect. I don't feel the same way about this, but I love it anyway. So I'm going to side with my heart, and I'm going to say Licorice Pizza is a 10 out of 10. I just turned my phone on, and I got a LinkedIn notification saying, recommendation for you, people with similar interests are following Boris Johnson. Oh, God. Follow to see posts. <laughs> uh, okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, if you love it that much, you know, you, yeah. you've got to um, you've got to go with your heart. Um for man of the match is a tough one. Oh. Do you know who you're going for? It's between two people. It's between. Yeah, I'm definitely between. I might be the same two people actually. Well, actually, I suppose it's technically between three people, but it's kind of between two people. It's between Alana Haim and Paul Thomas Anderson, or yeah, that's what I was and thinking. also Michael Bowman, who did the cinematography, but Paul Thomas Anderson does his own cinematography as well. Um. I really I'm... um actually we will remind you that you have to pick which Thomas at Paul Thomas Anderson so you can't have Paul Thomas Anderson you have to have the director the writer or the cinematographer. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't like that about what you say there. <laughs> yeah, because otherwise it's just you just everyone would just you just always pick the person that does the most things. Well, not necessarily, but I I mean it's difficult. No. It's between PTA and Alana Haim. It's between those two. Um, uh, also, by the way, we did mention the editing's really really good as well. Oh yeah, the we did mention top, that. Top the editing quality. is fantastic. Editing is yeah. really good. Um, um, I'm picking Paul Thomas Anderson, the producer. The producer. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a niche thing to love. You loved the way he produced <laughs> this. Yeah, I think Sarah <laughs> Murphy, Adam Sumner, and Paul Thomas Anderson for producing. 
Um, I'm picking Metro Goldwyn Mayer for the distributing <laughs> of it. This was distributed. This was actually distributed very badly. So yes, I'm not really going to give it to MGM. Um, I think I'm going to give it to Alana Heim. Actually, I think her performance. Um, part of the reason why I love this film in the way that I do, as I described about her uh, growing up and me relating to that in several ways. Um, I think most of it is down to her performance as well as Paul Thomas Anderson's writing and directing and cinematography. Um, but I think it's mostly due to Alana Heim's performance. I'm going to give it to Alana Heim. Um, interesting, actually, we're talking about Metro Girl and Maya doing the, uh, the distributing. I don't want to keep saying it for, but, um, uh... On the, on the thing, um, I've uh, interesting tip. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's directed nine films. I already know what you're going to say. <laughs> they've had ten distributors. <laughs> he just burns bridges as he goes. <laughs> yeah, Hard Eight, Sam Goldwyn Company, Boogie Nights, and Magnolia both had New Line Cinema. Fair enough. Bloodshot Love, Sony, Sony. Uh, there will be blood. Paramount and Miramax, The Master, The Weinstein Company. Boo. Inherent Vice, Warner Bros. Phantom Fred, Focus Features, Universal Pictures, and then Licorice Pizza, MGM. That's that's pretty mad, actually. I don't know who he's going to go to next. Netflix? Netflix. <laughs> Disney um, is going to make a Marvel only, film. On all screen, streaming services, on every UK streaming service combined, there's one Paul Thomas Anderson film. Is it There Will Be Blood? Yes, on Netflix. Yeah. It's the only one. I haven't seen a Paul Thomas Anderson film other than this, by the way. It's my first one. Ooh, you should watch There Will Be Blood. Uh, yeah, but Daniel Elias annoys me. Okay, <laughs> I am going to give this to Paul Thomas Anderson, the director. I think that that again, these are this does feel like a million little stories, and for them to all work, even though it does have some problems with the pacing, for them to all work and create this wider image that is greater than some of, of its parts, getting these performances out of people that have not done top level acting before, um, just. Creating a, a world that really feels, you know, very lovable from a from I can say from a very close perspective. Um, I think it's great. I think it's really, really, really top top acting performance. And one of my favorite directorial sorry, I meant that's an acting, I meant directorial. One of my favorite directorial performances of the Oscar season. Um and will be up there with with the likes of um Pablo Durain and um Denny Villeneuve for my favourites for the Oscars. So um yeah, for me it goes to PTA. Very deserved. PTA. Wow, so... I'm glad you liked yeah. it. I didn't think that you'd give it that highly. I thought you'd like it, um, but I didn't think you'd like it that much. And I'm happy that you liked it in general, because it's really crushing when you say, like, watch Licorice Pizza, it's great, and then someone says, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, like JL. Yeah, that's JL's exactly what happened with JL. I watched it a few days before he did, and I was like, I think you'll love Licorice Pizza, it's amazing, I think it's fantastic. And then he watched it, and he was like, that was awful. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So I'm happy that you're on my side. Uh, yeah, I feel like it feels uh, it feels wrong to just go right to Titan because it's it's it, Titan. It's a little bit like um, Spider-Man: No Way Home. It, like I can't believe we're actually getting around to, know, to yeah. doing Titan. It's been three. I can't months believe since I've, I've seen I Titan. First saw it. Huh? It's been three months since I first saw it, and I've been dying to talk about I it since like I first that. saw it. It's finally here. I saw it. In fact, four hours ago. I know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Let's get into it. To tan. So I'm going to start with this one, but 
you do love this film. You've really made it very obvious that you absolutely do, love this yeah. film. So I guess you're on uh, Tenterhooks. Um, I am. I'm li- waiting for this. Even more so than the Chris Pizza, this is a divisive film. This has kind of spliced audiences between thinking it's just gross, disgusting, and pointless, and then people who think it's a masterpiece. And I don't know which side you're going to fall on. Because I feel like it's impossible to think this is average. I think this is very much a film that is incredible or awful. I don't think there's an in-between. So take it away, finally. Take it away. This film is incredibly mediocre. Okay, (laughs) no, I I am going to um, just say, by the way, we are... So this film, I didn't know anything about it, really. I had very basic ideas about what happens. Uh, I didn't really know anything about it. And neither did you when you first watched it, I don't think. And I think it works best without very much knowledge of what happens. Definitely, yeah. Um, so, you know, you can, you know, the, like the, the first scene, uh, you know, we can talk about that. But we are going to just talk about it in kind of platitudes and such. Uh, maybe some very vague details. and um, And... But we are going to do a spoiler section where we can openly talk about it. And I really would strongly recommend, because this is such a divisive film, because you can really bring yourself to it, I'd recommend watching uh, it yourself before you listen to the spoiler section. I really would on this one. Um, but yeah. So, brief description of Tatan. Tatan is uh, a film from director Julia DeCorno, who won the Palm Door for Best uh film at the Cannes Film Festival in July uh, and it stars Agatha uh, Agatha Roussel R- Roussel I think so yeah Agatha Roussel Agatha Roussel who is a uh, journalist and model it's her first acting performance and it also starts uh, Vincent Linden who is quite well known in France I believe um, and so Agatha Roussel is the main character uh, she's called Alexia and she, you know, and she is a, a dancer at a motor show. Um, and I guess that's all I want to say, really. Um, so, Tatan, Tatan, Tatan. Where do I start with Tatan? So, I have heard for a long time of a few people, especially you, about how good this is, how shocking this is, how divisive this is. All the, you know how amazing it is. All these things, the roller coaster that it is. Of every of you, I've heard. Oh, you are taking your time as, with this. <laughs> has described it as always. And I sat down. I am. I'm and the film began. Family. And what happened was, I was met with shocking color and beauty and a a really terrifying uh disgusting a wonderful uh, a real roller coaster that truly did fit all the superlatives that everybody gave me i was sitting in there you know you go through this opening scene that sets the scene that sets the, the sets it up and then boom you go straight into the car show there's wonderful cinematography beautiful lights um, and you next half an hour you're just taken on this journey of of just one insane thing after another and some of it is so hard to watch some of it is is so beautiful to look at there's this kind of <laughs> constant contradiction between not wanting to take your eyes away and not being able to look at the screen 
batshit stuff happens. It's just a crazy film. I know. I understand some of what it's on about. I understand. I don't understand some all of it. Um, it's just insane amount of things that you just don't know where it's going. And then that's the first half an hour, and then the rest of the and then after that, forty minutes, it turns from something that is insane and batch and all these things that everyone told me into a very good yet quite normal film. I don't think it's bad. I think it's great. But I I was told that this was going to be this this unwatchably strange and 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 roller coaster and shock and and sex fest and it, for most of the film it actually isn't really. It starts like that and it ends like that, but a lot of the film it is more of a for lack of a better term, pedestrian story. It's a very well made one that never really bored me. I would I wouldn't say that. But it was I did feel, maybe an hour and ten minutes into it, a sense of nostalgia for the first half an hour. And I think it sounds like I'm being kind of very negative, but I don't think I could really put into words just how good that first half an hour is. Um, the first half an hour is some of the best cinema that I've ever seen and one, some of the best cinema experience I've ever seen. You know, watching that in cinema, seeing that light, seeing that colour, you know, Agatha Roussel, absolutely impeccable. And she's throughout the whole film. You know, she has to go, she doesn't, this is a fucking hard job. This is a really, really hard film to act. And for her to do it so, so convincingly and having to play kind of a very complex, kind of almost multiple characters here. She does it just excellently. I think that the the, the batshit stuff is some of the best of it. It's very intriguing. I thought that whilst you know Vincent Linden's section was was the bit that I, I didn't love as much, he was really really good. Um, and I think there's a million great things about this. You say that it it it's works on a body horror level, hundred percent. It works as uh, as a look at a womanhood it works in a million ways but i think the, the way in which it works mess is a piece of of real beauty this film is this kind of it, it's i guess uh, i don't know how to describe it but it's kind of imperfect beauty that i think that that's the kind of summed up by the poster you know it's this this wonderful looking poster this, this beautiful woman this beautiful color with this really visible gritty scar and i think that that's the, that's the thing that this is kind of imperfect beauty and it's probably, you know, I think that, you know, I've talked about Zola and I've talked about Spencer and I've talked about all these films. You know, this has, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know where I'll be in a couple of days, but this has cinematography to rival any of them. The cinematography is impeccable in every single scene. Um, when it has to, when it gets to play with those those cars and the colours at the beginning, it, it does so well with them. It's it's shocking and it's wonderful and it's even the points uh, midway through it has some real emotional moments uh, kind of and you know even if I did start to find myself in a lull that got completely pulled out on the scene on the top of the fire truck I thought that was excellent um, just wonderfully acted so beautiful to look at if anything the only the only thing is that I kind of almost believed the hype in a way and that I thought this whole film would be a hundred miles an hour but I don't think that perhaps it wouldn't be sustainable to continue at that pace maybe that it needed to slow down a little um, but when it was going at that speed I'd loved every single second of it this for half an hour first half an hour is the best half an hour of cinema you can find in in, in any film that's been released this year and last year 
So yeah, overall, um, I was really, really, really big on Tatan. Uh, I'd like to have had a few days to kind of see where it's going to fit because it is such a strange film. It's very much unlike almost anything I've ever seen. So I'd like to give it a few days. I think I'm going to have to give it a rewatch to see if my thoughts... Because I've got a feeling what happens. I've got a feeling that the same thing's going to happen that I did with The Shining and did with Baby Teeth. I reviewed them just after I watched them. I had concerns. I rewatched them. I then lost all those concerns. I feel like I'm going to completely disagree with any negative thing I said <laughs> when I rewatched this. But that's how I feel about it. You can breathe out. At the end of the day, whatever I said, oh. I did love this film. So you can, you can be, you don't have to be stressed. Yes. You don't have to worry. Let's go. You have taste confirmed. And I do agree, this is definitely a film that you have to sit with for a bit. Um, because it's so bizarre. You know, the first time you watch it, and this is kind of what you're saying, the first time you watch it, it is the only thing you take away from it. Well, not the only thing, but the big thing you take away from it is that first half an hour 45 minutes that is just insane and it's incredible and that's what stuck in your head and the first time i watched it i was thinking for a couple of days after why wasn't the rest of it like that and that's exactly what you're saying so yeah i completely agree and then you rewatch it and you sit with it for a bit and then it all starts to fall into place and i do agree i think if you give this a couple of days even a couple of weeks maybe rewatch it and then think about it again and come back. I, I don't think you'll have any issues with it. Um, uh, certainly not the ones that you're saying about it. You you want more of that first half an hour um, because I, I don't like you said. I don't think it'd be very sustainable. Um, but anyway, my thoughts on the film. You know that I love this film. I adore this film. But why do I adore this film? Why do I love it so much? Well, I think that this is probably the best directorial outing I've seen in a very very long time. This is, on a technical level, as flawless as it can be. This is a technical masterpiece. The cinematography, the opening long take... Oh, it's, well, it's not the opening. The opening is uh, kind of the flashback. The opening long take of the dance on the car is just unbelievable. And the thing that I find so remarkable about it is it's such a bizarre concept. And yet, regardless of how wild and crazy this story is... DeCarnell's direction is so steady and so confident, she knows that this story is more than just a wild body horror story. And that's really reflected in how well and confidently this is directed. So many people could have made this and directed it in a batshit crazy way that matched the story, but she didn't, and it completely makes sense. And it's just incredible. And much like we were saying with Licorice Pizza, the music in this, the score is excellent, but the soundtrack, again, is so, so good. The songs that they pick, some are in French, some are in English, they fit the story so well. One song pops up twice, and it's used in very, very different ways. And it's excellent choice of music, an excellent setting of the songs. And Agatha Roussel's performance, this is her first performance. How daunting would it be that this is your first performance? It's just crazy. And it's I'm stunned that this is her first performance because her performance is largely silent. She doesn't speak much um, for reasons that make sense in the story. And she conveys every ounce of emotion regardless of the fact that she can't speak and that this is her first performance. Um, so she is absolutely incredible in this film. But the big acting takeaway is Vincent Linden. Vincent Linden 
is absolutely heartbreaking. And this is the best male supporting performance I've seen. He is playing this character who is so broken and he captures it absolutely flawless, flawlessly. And this film on the surface, it's this fucked up body horror film. Um, but beneath that, when you peel back the layer of the body horror, it's an a beautiful, heartwarming film about unconditional love and about gender and sexuality. And it's demented, but it's heartwarming at the same time. And it's it's just yeah. unbelievable. And it's so, so gorgeous. And I, I, I don't want to say much more because, like we said, if you want to watch Titan go in blind. I went in blind. I didn't even watch the trailer. I didn't know the concept. I didn't know anything about it. I watched it and it, was, it blew me away. And that's the best way to go into this, to go in blind, not necessarily because there's plot twists and turns, because there aren't really. Like you said, it's a very basic story, really. Um, but because it's just such a ride, go in blind. So I don't want to say much more about Tatana's story, um, because so much of the things that I love about this are about the story and about um, what actually happens and that would be considered, I suppose, spoilers. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's a it's a masterpiece. It's a technical masterpiece and it's a storytelling masterpiece and it's gorgeous in every way and I just love it so much. Yeah, no, I um, I, 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 I agree. It's, uh, it's, it's impeccable. It's excellent. Um, yeah, I, I, it's, it's wonderful. Mm. Again, I still have those issues, and if I rewatched it, and and hopefully, you know, this will go up even further in my estimation, um, because right now that that you know I was you know part of me thinks this is a better film than anything I've seen. Part of me thinks, man, I was teased. <laughs> I don't know. It's really tough I know what you because mean, yeah. I, yeah, I, I yeah, I'm, I say I was, I was that kind of sense of like. Oh, midway through the film, I'm thinking, oh, I wish I was back in the first half hour again. <laughs> um, but yeah, for me, I think Vincent Lynn is really, really good, and it's an amazingly emotional story, and I think he pulls it off really well. But for me, yeah, I thought that Agatha Roussel was was more of a standout. I thought Agatha Roussel was mm. unbelievably good. I thought, you know, my my initial thought was that would be my favorite performance of the year in almost any year ever if it wasn't the same year that Spencer came out. Um, <laughs> I was like, if I went back Best Actress in the Oscars, I reckon I could tick this name, like, go, like, 2018, yeah, better than that, 2017, better than that, 2016. I thought she was excellent. And then the two very different characters she plays here, so well, so well. And and kind of when she bridges the gap between them as well, just unbelievably. It's it's heartbreaking, and it's it's a very conflicted character with very strange motives, and but just I think she does it with, with just unbelievable... Uh, style and and a, a, a swagger and 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 the the way that the confidence she has you know as I say swagger the confidence she has you know at the beginning of the film and contrast that with the way that she is towards the end oh it's just it's impeccable I think it's impeccable and the way she looks I mean I think fair play to her and the in the hair and makeup department the way she looks at this film the way it changes oh it's just it's just oh so good um I absolutely love her I uh, absolutely love the performance absolutely love the film um but it's oh, i don't know it's just like i came out of the film and i didn't think man this is great but the more i think about it the more i think i love it it's yeah. tough it's tough yeah it's tough. this is definitely oh, I, I really have to rewatch really yeah. it yeah 
Yeah. The fact that that I've had like three months to think about it is Is very beneficial because it's definitely a film you have to stay with. If you, when I walked out the cinema, well, right. If you, so we'll do spoilers first, then we'll do rating and stuff. But I'm going to do my rating kind of now. I'll probably say like an eight and a half. Right. Yeah. But when I, but I know that it's better than that. But that is how I felt about it. <laughs> yeah. An eight and a half is a fucking good rating. Yeah. Like, that's very high. Like, I can't be annoyed about eight and a half. Um, but I left the cinema and I was like, well, yeah, it's probably about an eight and a half. It's probably like an eight or something. Eight and a half. But I think, I know it is really, it could, it's probably a 10. It's probably like a nine and a half. But like, I can't confidently say that because yeah. I do have a problem. But I do, are my problems, I'm doubting my own, I'm gaslighting myself. <laughs> um I was actually funny to say that because I was thinking very early in this film. Maybe uh, this is, I guess, is a slightly spoilerish. No, it's not. This isn't spoiler at all. But we do spoilers just after this. But I was thinking about fifteen minutes of the film. Uh, Alexia is probably just, like she is the definition of girl boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. Without further ado, let's get into the spoiler section. Yes. So I really, 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 really strongly recommend all of you uh, to go watch this if you haven't uh, and, if, and don't listen to spoilers if, if you haven't um, already. Uh, so I don't think I said it's paid sense, but you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, listen, watch the film before you, you do you listen to this because it's really good. And this film's uh, definitely one that's designed to be seen without any knowledge. Hmm. Um so your warning is over. Let's talk about it. Um, Let's get into it. Have you got... What are your first spoilery thoughts? Uh, she fucks a car. She does. <laughs> multiple thing. times. I remember the first time... The I, Well, actually, I, I accidentally lied earlier. I made a mistake. The one thing I knew about this going into it is that she fucked a car. And yeah, me too, actually. I remember watching it for the first time and seeing the dance on the car and thinking, oh, this is... Because I was thinking, like, how do you fuck a car? How are they going to film that? And then I saw the dance and I was like, oh, this is how they're doing it. It's a very creative way to uh, portray sex with a car. And then that happens. And then she actually has sex with the car. And it's a lot more kind of graphic. And I was like, oh, no, that this is the sex scene with a car. Um, so, yeah, that's the one thing I knew about it. And it was crazy. And that's kind of when you know that it's it's you're in for a ride. Um, but this whole film, really is about, I could talk about this for ages, um, I won't do though, don't worry, um, at its core it's about familial love and unconditional love, because Alexia, from when she was a child and we see her in the flashback, she's not really been loved by her dad, her dad doesn't really love her, um, and he doesn't really pay much attention to her, which is obviously very sad on its own, um, but then we see the the car crash happens, and she gets this titanium plate, in her head, which gives her this connection to cars and this connection to metal as well. Um, and even when she's an adult and we see her and her dad, they, they don't really have any kind of relationship. It's a very um, transactional relationship. So when she encounters Vincent, who lost his son, um, he's a father who is desperate for a child to love, and she's a child who's desperate for a father to love her. And in a way, they're perfect for one another, but she is deceiving him. She's pretending to be his son, um, but he loves her anyway. And slowly throughout the film, her facade kind of breaks and he starts to suspect things. And then when it's eventually revealed towards the end, she's a woman um, and he realizes, right, OK, this definitely isn't my son. She expects him to kind of snap 
and she's like, oh God, he's going to lose it. And all he does is he picks up the towel and wraps it around her and just, he reiterates and still yeah, says, lovely, I love you. Moment. I still, you know, I don't care who you are. You're my son and I love you. And a lot of people have said that this film is about gender dysphoria and Alexa having gender dysphoria. And I don't think it's particularly about gender dysphoria, although that's definitely a theme. Um, because I don't think Alexia necessarily wants to be a man or she doesn't want to be a woman. I just think it's she wants to be Adrian because she feels that the only reason Vincent loves her is because he thinks that she's his son. And of course, we know that that's not true. We know that he just loves her because he wants someone to love because he's so broken. And when she realizes that he loves her unconditionally, it's very bittersweet because it's right at the end, right before she dies, um, that she realizes he loves me. He genuinely just loves me as a person. Um, and when she when she's giving birth on the bed, which is such a visceral, unbelievable scene, and it's so well directed and so well acted by both Vincent Linden and Agatha Roussel, um, she begs him for help, and at first he kind of recoils and tries to run away, but then he stays for her and he helps her and he says, like, I'm here, I'm here for you, and he uses her real name, he calls her Alexia, and he says, right, Alexia, don't worry, I'm here for you, and it's such a gorgeous moment, and this trauma as well that she has gave her this attraction to cars like when she's having sex with that woman she goes for the nipple ring she goes for the metal on her body rather than her body she goes for the metal because she's attracted to metal which is an interesting contrast because julia ducournau's last film was about a young woman who had a desire for human flesh a cannibalistic desire for human flesh so it was interesting to see that yeah. contrast. have you seen her all uh, yeah i have i the, 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 i haven't seen her all. The, this is a thing another thing that i wanted to get into that i had no issue watching this um, and the only reason I had, because I hate horror and I hate gore, uh, the reason I had no issue watching this is because there's no blood. It's all oil, <laughs> which is partly kind of yeah. part of why it's disgusting. But because it's oil, it's very obviously like fake. Like my brain just goes, oh, it's oil. It's fake. This isn't real. It's fine. Whereas if it was blood, I know I would have passed out and I would have been like, oh, God, I feel sick. So the fact that it's oil means I can watch this with ease because it's so obviously not real because that isn't happening but if it was blood then i would have been passed out <laughs> um yeah yeah and th there's just so many layers to this like alexia and the reason these two people are perfect for one another is alexia has never been loved by a dad which has also not really had the way men have treated her like her job is to dance for men and men view her as an object and one of the guards at the dance at the beginning says touch with your eyes they view her as an object they feel entitled to her so when vincent comes along and treats her with respect and is nice and actually loves her it's just so nice and the dance like you mentioned the dance on the fire truck is gorgeous like it plays wayfaring stranger again which is the song that they were listening to in the car at the beginning with her dad um but it's a different version of that song and it's kind of this hyper-feminine dance in a hyper-masculine environment. Like, all these firemen is a hyper-masculine environment that they craft. And Alexia's doing this hyper-feminine dance. And these men are looking at it, and they're kind of confused, because they're like, this is very sexual. And they're kind of liking it. But to them, they're watching a man. And this is what I mean. Is that it's all about sexuality and gender as well, because these men are watching what they perceive to be a man dance. And they're kind of enjoying it, and it's on a sexual level. And when one of the best moments of this film one of the best moments i've seen in all of cinema 
of the past few years is the birth scene. And when he says, as I said a few minutes ago, he says to Alexia, I'm here. And then Alexia dies and he's holding the baby, the transformer baby. And he holds the baby. And the last thing he says in the last words of the film, I'm here. And he says it to the baby because Vincent has something to love again. He has something that is weird and creepy but mm. he will love it mm. unconditionally and that's what it's all it's all about unconditional love which is so weird when you watch the first 30 minutes and you think this film is about love and it's about family and it's about being loved and it that the first 30 minutes is a wild ride but to me the last hour last hour and a half or however long this film is the best parts of this film on a story level, come after that. The first 30 minutes is a wild ride and it's incredible and it's a technical marvel. But the best parts come after that for me, especially this birth scene and the dance scene uh, where they're drenched in purple light. It's got the lighting in this film is gorgeous, like you said. Yeah, the lighting is excellent. It's just unbelievable. And I'm, I'm going to stop now because I could go on for like hours and you need to say something <laughs> to stop the yeah. droning on of me. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually quite annoying when you speak for more than a few minutes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think anyone's mentioned ever to me. I've heard of many people. No one's ever mentioned how... This film's actually quite funny. Like, there's quite a yeah. few funny moments yeah. in this film. Like, it's it's quite a funny film. Um, and also, you can interpret a few things that, as funny that maybe not. For example, the half of my... There's like five feet of the cinema... Were piercing themselves laughing every single time any like like any time she saw motor oil or anything oh. throughout the film, like because <laughs> there was like the idea of, like her being like impregnated by the thing they by a car. They mm. thought that was like hilarious. That's odd. I didn't think that was that funny. <laughs> but um, if you think this film is weird, it's actually weirder to read the Wikipedia page. The Wikipedia page, yeah. like you don't see the film. So when you read the phrase. Alexia breaks out her showgirl cinematography, leaving everyone confused. Vincent, disappointed, walks out of the crowd. After the party, Alexia has sex with a fire truck. <laughs> that sentence seems very strange. Um, there are so many moments. Like, genuinely, you could say, like, oh, this, this scene, you know, some of the best, cinematogra- best cinema I've seen mm. is this. Some of the best things. You could literally name half of the scenes. I mean, for example, one of the things that really stepped out, or stood out in art, and this is one of the most like emotive I have been in the cinema I was sitting on the back row on my own and I was having to cover my eye well not cover my eyes but I was like holding my like t-shirt up to my eyes and going ooh and making like mm. shaking and like I, I really this gave me real strong reactions and one of the ones that was like one of the, those many moments like ah oh, shit imagine that was the scene in the um like is it a train station toilet or whatever it oh, is oh yeah that's um yeah. When she breaks her nose. Yeah, that's the oh, one thing. Like I was boy. saying, it didn't bother me. There are two things that bother me. Blood and broken bo- bones. There's no blood in this, but the scene where she breaks her nose. Ugh. Oh, her putting bad. her uh, hairpin up her fanny. That was very hard to watch. That was bad. But again, I can kind of think that, that it was fake, so I can kind of look past that. And that didn't particularly bother me. I don't want to give you a spoiler, but it's all fake. Well, yeah. <laughs> but when all it looks films real... Are. And I can see, like, I knew, if they're real, they're called documentaries. Well, no, but I mean, like, if it looks real, like, if the gore is graphic, then it bothers me. But if I can't see it, right. then it doesn't particularly bother me. This made me, this gave me a far stronger reaction than Saw did. You really? know, like, that's, what, know, that's me... weirdly, that's what Charlie said. Because I was watching it, I'd watched it before I saw it with Charlie and JL. And um, I was like, oh, if you can watch Saw, you'll be fine with this. It's fine. 
because the thing that bothers me is gore and blood, and there's none of that in this. And then about 20 minutes That's into a Tatan, friend of the podcast, Charlie McGiven. Yeah. And then about 20 minutes into Tatan, Charlie leaned over to me and went, I, I, I already think this is a bit too much for me. And I was like... What, what point was oh, that? God. Do you remember what was on I screen? don't remember. I think it's the point that... Actually, I think it's the point where she does stick the needle up her to try and give herself an abortion. I do think it's that point. Um, really? And I was like, yeah, this is... It, there's more as well. <laughs> this isn't the worst of it either. Um, you know, when her stomach starts to rip open and reveal this titanium plate and, you know, she's, um, oil starts to come out of her boobs and it's just a very grotesque film. Um, but weirdly, none of that kind of bothers me on like a, what, like I can That's watch what I say, that. it's like that. It's that imperfect beauty thing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's so it's so beautiful. It's so well shot. It's so yeah. good looking, you know. And it's and it's all the thing, you know. It's, it, throughout this film, there's a constant juxtaposition. Like, if you even look in in um, Alexia, like, you know, obviously Agatha Russell's a, a model. She's stunningly beautiful, mm. and then she spends half the film with the worst haircut in the world, no <laughs> eyebrows. You know, yeah, and a broken nose. It, and a broken nose, exactly. Yeah. Oh, it do- doesn't it look good? Though? It is. Doesn't it's gorgeous. It look good? It's hi- some um, of the images in this are hideous, but they're so gorgeous at the same time. Like the the image like, towards the end looked- of her lay on the bed and blood. Well, it's not blood. It's oil starts pooling out of her and it pools on the bed. If that was blood, I would have been passed out. I wouldn't be able to watch that. Absolutely, <laughs> I would have been on the yeah, floor. I mean, I'm bad. I'm really bad at blood as well. Um, I, but the fact I that it was oil, being- it just looked beautiful. Like this black reflective thing and it was shot and lit so well it was gorgeous even though it's I, hideous i i like um my favorite curry is a chicken salon right this is it that's a random um, sentence that's an, i would if you'd have given me a year to predict what your next sentence would have been <laughs> i would never have guessed that <laughs> do you know what chicken salon is um i've heard of it yeah but i've never had it so yeah it's like it's coconut it's spicy and every place does it at different spice levels. Right. But normally it's pretty spicy. It's like pretty, it's very spicy. And Where is this going? I'm not, <laughs> this is a good analogy. <laughs> I'm re- I'm not very good with spice. Right. But I really enjoy being uncomfortable. Like I ha- I like the pain. I really like not being able to eat it and having to drink loads of milk. I like the feeling of uncomfortable. Yeah. And it was the same here. Eh? Eh? That, you the, see? Well, you tied it together well. I'll give you that. Yeah, that's a good analogy. Yeah. I, the, the points where I felt really uncomfortable, the, the worst and most disgusting, the, oh, the, oh, yeah. like the proper grim moments, that I loved every second of it. It mm. never felt, because even with Saw, sometimes I was like, all right, that's a bit much. I never felt like it was too much. Yeah. I was always like, this is horrible and I hate it, but I love it. Yeah. Um, I'm very much. But what I meant. I like being comfortable. I I don't like horror films because I don't like being scared because fear is a negative emotion and I want to avoid it. I'm very much that type of person. Um, and like I say, if the, I struggle to watch Raw because it's blood and it's flesh and it's, you know, human flesh and bones and blood. Um, and I was like looking away and squinting and I could barely get through Raw and I wouldn't watch it again for that reason. Um, but with Tatan, because it's not really blood, I can just watch it fine. And I'm fine with it. And it never made me like wince or need to look away, even though it was difficult to watch in a different way. Like watching her go through this, because her performance is so raw, pun intended. Um, hmm. It's such a, 
a difficult performance to watch um but not from a perspective of like the body horror the body horror never particularly bothered me which is very weird because i hate horror and i hate body horror like to put this this into perspective the scene in old your favorite film where the woman who has really um what's the word like what not subtle like soft bones where they break really easily i can't think of the word but yeah, yeah those bones and she's in the the cave and her bones break and she start the bones heal in their broken position and she's all contorted and twisted i struggled to look at that that like disgusted me and i was like nope can't watch that i need to look away but th- i was fine with this apart right, from yeah. the scene where she broke her nose on the sink i remember when i watched it and that scene and there's a shot of like the cameras beneath the sink and she looks down at the corner of the sink and rests her nose on the corner and the penny drops of what she's about to do. And I remember when that happened in the cinema, because I saw it in a sold out showing, um, everyone kind of went, no, no. And you heard everyone go like, oh God, oh no, this is going to be bad. And that was it. And it was like that constantly, there were constant like groans and kind of gasps at what was going on on the screen. I'm not going to give us an eight and a half. Good. Uh, I thought that. I thought eight and a half was harsh. Even after you said you had issues with it, I was like, eight and a half. Yeah. Um, Yeah. What what started this uh, this thing is I said, yeah, doesn't look good, though. I actually meant, don't she look good as Adrian? That's what I meant specifically that. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. But your point is, your points are all all right. But yeah, doesn't she look good as Adrian, though? Like, it looks really, it looks so different. Yeah. It's shocking. If you remind me. Yeah. And yeah, credit to her, credit to the hair and makeup team, mm. but credit to both of them because oh my god, it looks excellent. It's yeah, oh, and it it, it is excellent. Okay, let's go on to the rating because we could be here all day. I I really actually could talk for two hours about yeah, this. I, could. I really could. And I think we need to have um, another discussion once you've re- once you've rewatched it because this is a hundred percent is a better film after you've sat with it. A hundred percent. I loved it when I first saw it, but the more time has passed the more I've loved it. So rewatch it. There are things I don't understand about what happens. Like there, what? Are the, the, there are definitely things that happen here that I don't actually have an answer for. I don't have a, that means that. Out of curiosity, there are a few things. What, what are one or two of them? Well, let's go for that. The whole, like, um, I don't necessarily, I, I, I get the, 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 basically, I'm trying to, say, I'm trying to know how to say this. There are things that obviously, you have to have massive stretch of imagination mm. for like that. Or the whole situation of the sex of the cars, the, her relationship with it all, a lot of that kind of thing, you know, that the, the nature of the pregnancy, I, I think there are basic understandings of what I, I know what it means, but, but the, the more literal, I don't really know exactly what they're going for. But the point is, I don't think it matters. Mm. And I think that people really do get bogged down in it. I think it, it it just it provides you with a feeling. It provides you with with moments, and you understand what the purpose is there. I, I don't think that it needs to. I think people, a lot of the people that are talking themselves out of Titan, a bit a lot of people that didn't like Titan, are trying too hard to work it out. I think that it actually just it works so well as just the entity that it is. It just it it. I don't think it needs to all be explained. Yeah, I agree. I mean. It, it doesn't really make any sense that she was able to get pregnant by a car because she had a titanium plate in her head 
that you know gives her this connection to machines and metal. Yeah, the um, hole in her stomach and all that stuff. Yeah, it doesn't day, really make sense. I, I don't think, but I think I'm sure that J- Julia Decona has knows what that means. Yeah. I think she has an answer. I think she knows what that means. Yeah. and that's what I was saying. How confident she is in making this is impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, but I think it all leads into this idea that you know we were talking about how it's all about dysmorphia and how Alexia starts to hate her body and she feels like her body has betrayed her um, by doing this thing that shouldn't make sense and shouldn't happen and is inhuman and she starts to hate her body for it and bind her body for it and also we've not spoken about the sound design when she's binding herself is awful I mean that in the best ways it's amazing but it's awful to listen to you hear her body being it sounds like throughout bound. Really, it's one it's of the year. unbelievably well made the sound design and, and, and mixing of this is oh it's difficult to listen to the the sound the noise of her binding her pregnant stomach together Ugh, it's disgusting um but yeah, yeah no, i think it's all about how much she she starts to hate her body which is about the 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 gender dysmorphia and the the body dysmorphia that she goes through about feeling like her body is just wrong and she starts to hate her body and she starts to enjoy being Adrian because she's loved as Adrian. She has a life as Adrian. People like her as Adrian. Um, and Vincent is just, you know, loves her anyway, loves her regardless. And I just think it's, it's, it's beautiful, this film, in the most yeah. hideous way possible. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, okay. So, yeah, that's the end. We'll, we'll go now for our ratings. Um. Okay. I yeah. I've been talked into it. It's. Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to give it a ten yet. I'm not going to give yeah, it a nine and a half fair. yet. I'm going to give it a nine. I've been pushed up half rating. When I rewatch it, I might give it higher. But it definitely. It's one of the most must watch films of the year. Yeah. Probably the must watch film of the year. I want to know what people think of this. I want to hear what you know. I think I know most people that I know. I think would hate this. Um. <laughs> but I love it. Um. Yeah, it's 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 one of the best films of the year. It's one of the best films of the year. The fact this isn't, you know, the fact this has been snubbed by everything. The fact that this, it hasn't attracted the popular crowd. It hasn't attracted the, the Oscars crowd. It's annoying. Uh, it's in that kind of art house uh, middle ground. Um, but I guess it's a good in a way because I think that maybe I don't want this shown in Cineworld. I kind of in a way I kind of don't want people to to go like this is so fucking shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I want to give it a nine. It's it's just a masterful piece of cinema. Yeah, that that makes sense with uh, with what you said. I completely get that. Um, hopefully, it will go up, and I kind of think it will go up if you if you're allowed to sit with it. Because, like you say, you did watch it a few hours ago, um, and as I've said about fifteen times, it definitely ages well. This film. Um, so yeah, so for me, this is easy. I probably thought it was like a nine and a half first time I watched it, um, but now this is an easy ten. This is one of the best films I've ever seen. This is just an experience. It's amazing. Go and watch it if you can. And go out of your way to watch it. Go out of your way to think about it. Watch, just take this in and experience it. This is a director who is, you know, this is only a second film as well. And she's won the Palme d'Or. And she is going to make unbelievable cinema in the future. This is what cinema was made to do. It was made to shock and impress and emote and that's exactly everything that Tan is it's just perfect it's 10 out of 10 for me two 10 out of 10s has that ever happened um 
Maybe, probably I don't not. Think it has. I don't imagine so. I think I've, I've had two people both give ten out of tens before. I think I've had a few times. Yeah, but um, I don't think we've ever had. Um, I don't think we've ever had two in once. Oh, that's good. Hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. So, man, the match. This is a tough one. Hmm. This is a very tough. I'm one. going for. Who are you going for? It's actually, it's actually really tough. It's actually really tough because I'm like, oh yeah, it's obviously Julia de Canal, obviously. And I was like, wait a second, actually, no, Agatha Rousseau is unbelievable. And actually, wait a second, the cinematography is unbelievable. I don't know. It's between those three for me. I, I, I don't. I read Vincent is really good, but he doesn't stand out to the same degree hmm. for me. So I've got like five options it could be the editing is great I, I, I think it's for me it's between the cinematography direction from De Corneau and and Roussel I'm gonna go for I'm gonna go for cinematography no <laughs> I'm gonna go for Agatha Roussel I'm gonna go Agatha Roussel is my Good man in the match uh, the, Good the, yeah, the, she Huh? Good pick. Yeah, the way that she, the way that her character changes, um, the way that she, she, she plays such a, you know, I'm obviously can't say spoilers again, mm. but the way that she plays such a conflicted character, um, the way she goes for it, the way that she looks throughout the film, the way she acts throughout the film. Oh my god, for her debut performance is one of the best performances uh, of the year. It's the second best performance of the year. Yeah, uh, it's one of the best performances of the last ten years. She's exceptional. Uh, I thought it was, it was great. So for me, yeah. Yeah, I'm in a, a similar pickle. Ruben Impens' cinematography is just gorgeous. I think the production design is excellent. Um, Agatha Roussel is amazing. I preferred the, not necessarily preferred, but I just think Vincent Linden did more for me. Um, but ultimately, I have to give it to, to Julia Ducournau for, you know, this is one of the most bizarre concepts and bizarre things ever. And to intertwine it with a very normal story really about love and family. Um, but to have it be ultimately this crazy wild thing um, and to direct it so confidently and so well is just unbelievably impressive, especially to say that this is a second film. Um, I cannot wait to see what she does in the future. So yeah, man of the match for me is Julia Ducourneau. Okay. Yeah. Um. Completely fair. Um. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so hard to get between those three. Um. And that's it. That's the town over. Wow. We've done it. That um, feels strange. Like a big exhale. Yeah. So reminder. Before we finish up, it is a film series, a franchise that started oh, yeah. in the eighties, finished in the two thousands. Um. The first one is a standalone. The third is a sequel to the second. The fourth is a remake of the first. And the fifth is a prequel to them all. It has horror elements. You can describe it as a horror. Um, but you also you could also argue it was something else. Uh, they're very well known. Stars a large number of uh, well-known actors, directors and films. Um, and everybody is guaranteed to know it. But it isn't a traditional franchise. But it still is a franchise, certainly. It's not like a cheat question. Because um, when I heard this, I was like, "Oh, it's gonna be a cheat questions. It's gonna be like some background characters <laughs> in all of them or something." But it's not. 
And do you have any ideas? I, I'm perplexed. I'm thinking um, Terminator or like Predator. But I'm pretty sure that, that they was were going into the teens. Both, both guesses that people came up with in the uh, in the car when this was read out. Yeah. Um, but no. Like, is it like... It is. A, a Friday the 13th or something like that? No. Because um, those are definitely outright horrors. Yeah, that's um, true. Well, that's kind of like slasher horror, so I didn't know whether you'd count them. Yeah, no, I guess fair enough. Um, Alien? It is. No. It is. I'm going to... Should I just say it? Should I just say it? Oh, I really want to guess it, but I have no idea. The first is a standalone. Third is a sequel to two. Four is a remake of one. Five is a prequel to them all. Yeah. It feels like Fast and Furious, (laughs) but I know it's not. Yeah, 80s. Yeah. I don't even know. I'm trying to think of, like, franchises. I really want to guess it, but I am, I'm completely at a loss. So, yeah, go on. Just say it. Just get it out of the way. The Hannibal Lecter films. Oh, yes. Yes, Mad that Hanno, makes sense the, now. And then, yeah. That makes sense. Han- Red Dragon is a remake of, of Manhunter. Hannibal is a sequel to the first. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll give you that. That makes sense. And I, I have I've seen Fair. several of those. Yeah. Uh yeah, sorry. It's yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, that's that's it. Yeah. Hannibal's Hannibal is a sequel to Science of Lambs. Red Dragon is the remake of Hannibal, yeah, and Hannibal Rising is the remake is the, the prequel. Yeah. Yeah. That that all makes sense, yeah. And on that note, Thank you very much for listening. If you want to follow me, you can do so at Sam H Media. If you want to follow Lewis, you can do so at Lewis uh, JWR, and you can follow the podcast at Now Showing Pod. You can directly contact the podcast at nowshowpod.gmail.com. We are proud to be members of the Music City Driver Network. You can check them out at MCDI Pod or on their website for a host of podcasts and articles about sports, film, and music. You can also find us on Letterboxd at Sam Houston and LJWR, respectively. If you like the podcast, the best way to support us is by giving us a five-star rating on iTunes, and we will see you next time for Scream. Goodbye. I won't be here to Scream, but I'll be here the week after. You won't be surprising. Something else. So, goodbye. Have a nice time with Scream. Bye. Bye.